following audio is from the Anglican Church, Caroline Springs. For more information about the church, go to taccs.org.au. Sun is shining. The roof is not leaking. Spring is on the way. Coming into a building, warm, not too hot, not too cold. No one gathering outside to kind of petrol bomb us as we worship God. Sometimes I think that we come into Sunday morning, we stumble in kind of half awake, not really bothered about what blessings God is pouring out on top of us like Niagara Falls. And uh, I get this image, one of my favorite movies, this isn't in the script, uh, but I'll give this to you for free. Um, One of my favorite movies is Gladiator, and if you know that movie, uh, Russell Crowe is in the Colosseum, he's just killed everyone who's been trying to kill him, and he looks around at the crowd, and everyone's kind of just staring at him, and he says, are you not entertained? And I think that God is constantly saying, are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? The sun came up today. G.K. Chesterton once said that God, he, he, he postulates that God is like a child. And children are like constantly impressed by even the most monotonous things. Like he said, um, a kid isn't impressed when you open the door and there's a dragon behind it. A kid is impressed when you open the door, right? And he says God's like that. He, he, he imagines that every morning God makes the sun come up and, and says, Yes, look at this. Let's do it again tomorrow. And so um, when we come in here dragging our feet and, f- and, uh, and, um, and missing every single blessing that James says comes down from the Father of lights, I just imagine God saying, are you not entertained? So, with that introduction, I want us to stand up. I want everyone to stand up in honor of the majesty and the magnificence of God. And we're going to pray that we would be entertained by Him this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see in your word all that you have for us. You don't need to bring your word alive to us because it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword that you've designed it to cut through our hearts and expose our inward being. So I pray that that would happen this morning, even in this, even in this very monotonous, matter-of-fact, week-to-week, check-in-the-box Sunday service, that you would explode that open for us this morning, And show us your goodness and your grace. We love you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for all that you're going to do in us and through us now as we read it. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Amen. It's good. It's good. All right. Thanks, Marlene. You can just give the rest of the sermon if you like. I mean, I'm... So we're starting this morning what, what I'm pretty confident is going to be one of the most important sermon series that we'll ever do together. And, and, and some of you might be here saying, I, I, I bet he says that every time. I don't. I don't think I ever have. This, I think, is going to be incredibly important for us. And looking back in 10 and 20 years' time, I think this series, 12 weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes, will be a watershed moment for us. I really believe that. I believe that's what God wants us to anticipate. And so, uh, as we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, I am aware that for many of us, this is going to be a whole new thing. For many of us, uh, this whole book of Ecclesiastes is a, a bit of a mystery. And perhaps even if you did a little pre-reading ahead of this series, it may still be mysterious. It's one of those books where um, 
For some people, it's the most important book they've ever read. We heard that from David earlier today. For others, it's a complete mystery. Uh, it's been the subject of uh, works of art over the years. So if you're uh, a generation older than me, you, you remember the bird's song, right? Which is just a complete rip-off of the book of Ecclesiastes. For every time there's a season, turn, 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 right. Herman Melville, who, who wrote, all right, in the west of Melbourne, okay, it was Moby Dick, all right, he wrote Moby Dick, um, he, he, he said, Ecclesiastes is the truest book ever written, right, the truest book ever written, he said that because the book is so damn honest, depressing, but honest, and towards the end of his life, he realized that you can trust a man who's suffered. You can trust a man who's been jaded by life. You can trust what he says about life. You're not going to get any of the fluff. You're not going to get any of the false promises. And so as we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, it's probably a good thing for us just to set in its context in the whole of Scripture. And so um, the book of Ecclesiastes is known as, as one of the, the books of wisdom literature. And so if you open the middle of your Bible, you're going to hit one of the books of the wisdom literature uh, just about every time. And those books are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. So let's just get it in the context first, and then we'll dive into um, chapter one. And uh, I'm even looking at the time this morning, all right? So here are the, the, the books of wisdom literature. First of, all, first of all, you have the book of Job, one of the most ancient uh, works of literature that we have, full stop. Um, and it's, it's written about a man named Job who uh, the book says was righteous in God's eyes. And, and to give you the, 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 the kind of the, the, the plot of the story, uh, at the very beginning, I recommend you read the book. Uh, it's what I was reading when I became a Christian. Um, the beginning of the story, Satan comes into heaven and he says, uh, let me paraphrase this for you, he says, God... You, you, th- these humans, they're all a bunch of bums, all right? Um, no one really has relationship with you. They're all after their own ends. This gives us a really good picture, by the way, into a theology of the spiritual realm that destroys what many of us think about in terms of God and Satan as this kind of dualistic um, battle, eternal battle, and puts it in its right context where Satan's this little guy who trots into heaven and has to sit down and be quiet until God says, you can speak now. And, uh, and then when Satan says uh, what he wants to say, he, he says, uh, yeah, look, everyone here, uh, no one really loves you. They're all just going after what, you know, what they want out of life for themselves. And God says, have you checked out Job? There's this guy named Job. He's, he's, uh, he's pretty righteous. And, and Satan goes... Uh, yeah, but jo- listen, Job, you've made Job rich. You've given him heaps of kids, sons and daughters. He's got camels. He's got you know, animals and fields. And he's got everything he wants. He says he loves you, but he just loves the stuff. Who wouldn't say they love God if they've got all this stuff, right? And so uh, he says, listen, if you, if you give him to me, he'll curse your name. And so God goes, all right, you can have him. Again, the picture is Satan on a leash, God letting the chain out a little bit for a little bit before he drags it back in. That's the picture you have to have of God and Satan. It's like that. And so Satan goes after him. He uh, basically, in the space of a chapter, he, um, enemies come in and steal all of his animals. Uh, enemies come in and steal all of his possessions and then uh, wind and fire falls from heaven and consumes all of his kids, right? Um, and in the space of a few verses, one after another, servants comes to Job and says, you've lost everything, including not, not just your animals, but your kids, all of them, gone, dead. And then what you've got is a picture of Job by like the second chapter out of 42 chapters, uh, destitute with nothing left, no wealth, no progeny, nothing except a wife, and the wife's no good because what she says, her advice to him is, why don't you just curse God and die? Right? 
She didn't go to counseling college, right? She said, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you curse God and die? And whether you've been in church or not, um, you would have heard the phrase, famous phrase, that Job exclaims with sincerity, with no sin. We sang it this morning in one, in one of our songs. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he worships God. And then Satan goes back to God and God goes, huh? What did I tell you? And Satan goes, uh, well, it's, no, no, see, I've taken away his, uh, his possessions and his family and stuff, but he's still okay. He's so selfish that as long as he's okay, he'll keep worshipping you. If you give me his body, then he's going to curse you. And so God says, all right, you can have him. And so Job is afflicted with boils and diseases and, he's, and so the picture just gets worse and worse and what he's left with is a wife he thinks he's a moron. No possessions, no money, no wealth, no progeny. Covered in boils, scratching them with bits of pottery, dogs licking his wounds. And the next 40 odd chapters are Job's journey coming to the final realization that apart from God, Life is meaningless. That if there is nothing beyond the sun, if it's just about this life, then it's meaningless. Whether you have everything or nothing without God, it's all meaningless. Book of Psalms is going to be one of your favorite books if you've read through the Old Testament because it's so raw, it's so real, it's the the prayer life of David and other writers. Um, they would write these songs, these prayers, these psalms, and they formed the, the biggest book in, the old, in, in your Bible, 150 psalms used for various occasions, sometimes lamenting situations, sometimes just reflections on the reality of life in this world, sometimes used in the cultic practices of the Old Testament people in their worship in the temple. That's the book of Psalms. The book of Proverbs is concerned with how to live a, a life of wisdom. It's the, it's the words of a, 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 a father to his son. This is how you should live life. It's concerned with really practical day-to-day matters of character and money and work and love. And it's all about how to live a successful life. Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Skip over Ecclesiastes. Song of Songs. Right? Song of Songs, what a book. <laughs> it's a book about sex. It's a book, a graphic look at sex, celebration of sex, physical union between man and wife. Uh, over the years, we've tried to dull it down in our translations and try to say, actually, it's just about Jesus and the church. It's not really about intercourse. But uh, from the very first time it was written, um, the people of Israel knew exactly what it was about. It was about sex. And, uh, and to this day, Orthodox Jews uh, aren't allowed to read the book until they're, I think, 21, um, because it's too, it's too graphic. Um, so that's Song of Songs, how to, how to live a successful sex life. And then Book of Ecclesiastes, what we're going to look at this morning. And the Book of Ecclesiastes is a little bit like the, the dovetail of the Book of Job. Job loses everything, goes through incredible suffering and comes out at the end and says, beyond the sun, uh, if, if there's nothing beyond the sun, we've got no hope. If it's all about this life, then we've got no hope. It's meaningless. And the book of Ecclesiastes is written from the perspective of someone who has everything who comes to the same conclusion. If there's nothing beyond this life, it's meaningless. Everything's meaningless. And so it is, uh, it's an encouraging book. It's an uplifting book. And, um, and uh, even though it's completely not any of those things, it's utterly depressing. Um, the message that you're, you're going to take away from this week until when we finish in 12 weeks' time, God willing, 
is that even though life is depressing and meaningless and monotonous, life beyond the sun is all we need. Life beyond the sun is all we need. So with that being said, we're just going to go through a little at a time, read a little, talk a little, read a little, talk a little. I want to encourage you again, if you've got questions, stick your hand up. I'll try and answer them as we go along. Uh, But otherwise, we're going to cover the first chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, starting at chapter 1. So turn there in your Bibles. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So first line, first verse, establish the authorship of the book. Okay, It's, it's written by the preacher. He's going to be our guide through this book. He's going to be the one teaching. It can be translated preacher or teacher. The point is he's got a message for us. That's where we get the the name of the book, Ecclesiastes. It's a Latin translation of the Greek translation of the Hebrew, which just means the gathering that listens to the preacher. Okay, so we are the ecclesia. That's, That's the word for church. And the preacher is the teacher of the of the gathering so ecclesiastes it's just another way of saying the preacher this book is the preacher and the preacher's got a message for us now the authorship um, the historical authorship of the book historically speaking it's been attributed to solomon who is david's son remember king david had a son son named solomon who took over the throne over israel um and uh it's said that he wrote uh a, a Quite, quite a lot in his time, um, especially in terms of the wisdom literature, so Song of Songs, also known as Song of Solomon, and this book traditionally is, uh, attributed to Solomon. Uh, more recently, that's been called into question by scholars. We won't go into the details. A lot of people doubt very much whether Solomon was, in fact, the author of this book. I think, really, uh, in terms of the meaning for us, the content, the theological significance, none of it changes depending on who wrote the book. For our purposes, I'll be referring to the author as Solomon. At the very least, these are Solomon's thoughts that may have been put together by someone else as kind of a, a biographer, okay? Um, but clearly, the, the stuff that this man has to teach is coming from the experience of Solomon, the king of Israel. You remember that Solomon, when he was made king, God gave him... Uh, a, a bit of a, a genie moment, like you can have whatever you want, give, you know, you, you got one wish, I'm going to grant it to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. He says, I want, I want to be wise. I want to know everything. If I'm going to be a good king, I need to be wise. And God says, you ask for a good thing there. You didn't just ask for, wi- uh, for riches and wealth and women. You asked for wisdom. Therefore, you're going to have wisdom and everything else. And so Solomon rises to be one of the greatest rulers in in ancient history, he becomes exceedingly wise, but also exceedingly wealthy. Uh, he, he, is, he presides over Israel uh, uh, during the time in which it was one of the most prosperous nations on the face of the earth. He has everything he wants. Not only wisdom, but wealth, women, and other W words that we look for. Okay, So he, he stands, as the author of this book, as someone of, of absolute... Um, authority to talk about life. What he's going to say basically is, you need to listen to me because I've, I've done everything. I've risen higher than you're ever going to rise. I've had more money than you're ever going to have. Have, have. I've had more women than you're ever going to have, like a thousand uh, concubines in, in his harem. Right? He's, in terms of, of success, living a successful life, he's been to the pinnacle and now he says, listen, I'm going to tell you what it's all about. From my, from my vantage point, I'm going to tell you what it's all about. So I'm, I'm thinking here this morning, just maybe we can interact a bit on this for just a second. What ties all of the wisdom literature together is, is basically, quite loosely, this idea of the successful life. How do you live a successful life under God? And so 
when we think about success today, when we look out of the windows here and we see the world around us in Caroline Springs, what are the kinds of marks of success that people are looking for? What are, what are the, the kind of fixtures of success that people are working towards? Give me some ideas. Possessions, yep. Security. Jobs, yep, good job. Come on. Kids, family, good family. Yep, Jeff. Contentment. Huh? Good. Riches, fame, indelible memory, like being remembered. All of these things characterize, I'm telling you, if you ask anyone and they're honest, and I don't, like most people won't be, but if, if you ask them to be honest and they're honest, that they're the kinds of things they're going to say, right? And we can relate to those things. It's not like it's us and them. Like we relate to most of those things, right? And so w- here's the thing. As we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, we need to come, come with, with being honest enough to know this. Everyone in the world around us and to a degree... And perhaps to the same degree at times, we here in the church de- are defining success by those kinds of things. Wealth, power, influence, fame, uh, prosperity, comfort, sexual exploits, like all of these things we're working towards. And we are uh, using them to fuel us each day to keep going through each day. These are the things that we're looking towards, the goals we're looking to fulfill, the, the boxes we're looking to tick, the bucket list that we have accumulated to get us going day to day. Now the problem with that, the problem with that way of living, the problem with that motivation for life is the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is the great argument against that way of living that motivates most of us most days of our lives. So let's see why. Verse 2. Let's read it together. Verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity, 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 all is is vanity. This is the, the Hebrew word hebel, which is just nice to say. Hebel. Everyone say hebel. Hebel. You'll enjoy it. Hebel. It's a good word to say, right? Hebrew word hebel, it means vapor. So different translations will say vanity, meaninglessness, whatever it is, but the, the root word is vapor, and it just means uh, uh, shallowness. Um, uh, formlessness, emptiness, meaninglessness. Everything is hebel. Everything is vapor. Everything is meaningless. Everything is transitory. And throughout the 12 chapters of this book, uh, I think it's like 38 times that he uses this word. Meaningless, vaporous, vanity. Everything is vanity. And so I think all of us are here this morning, we could, we could relate to this to an extent. So we, we could think about our lives, our, our day-to-day lives, our week-to-week lives, even just the time that you've spent this morning, and there will be an aspect of something you've done or an aspect of your life, and you'd say, yeah, that's pretty meaningless. Like at the end of the day, not much, there's not much difference made by me doing that. It's pretty baseless. It's pretty shallow. It's, it's vain. It's vanity. But what Solomon is saying right now from the very second verse of his book is what? What's meaningless? What's vanity? Everything. It's depressing. Like he starts out at a really depressing point right from the beginning. And this is going to be a pattern he's going to to go through over and over again. Basically, he's going to say, I've done it all. Right? I've risen to the top. All those things that you're searching for, I've had them all, and everything is meaningless. Really, Solomon? Like, the birth of your child? Meaningless. Marriage? Your, your, your wedding day? Or for him, you know, it happened a few times over? Meaningless. 
Really, even pleasure and enjoyment and the, and the first sunny day of winter, meaningless, vanity, vapor, nothing, worthless. Let's keep going. This is fun, all right? I'm having fun anyway. You guys look like you're not, all right? So, meaningless, vaporous, vanity. Question is, why? Why does he think that? Let's read verse 3 and 4. What does man gain... By all the toil at which he toils under the sun. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Here's what he's saying. Here's the big idea. Whether you wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and get to work and work really hard and put in 15-hour days, or you're bludging in the most tedious job there is, I drove past a guy in a, uh, sorry if this is you, um, we love you, but I drove past a guy yesterday sitting in one of those um, speed camera cars, right? He just got out of his car, he had like McDonald's sauce all over him and a newspaper and he's like, like just the most meaningless job in the world. <laughs> another fine, another fine, change the radio station, right? Whether you are, you know, an entrepreneur, whether you're Bill Gates or that guy, It's all monotonous toil day to day that makes very little impact on anyone for any length of time. He's saying your life and and his life for all of the toil, for all of the getting up and going to work and working hard and coming home and getting sleep and doing it all over again, for all of that, it's just vanity. Vanity. It's meaningless. A generation comes, a generation goes, the earth remains forever, nothing's changed. Even the most impressive people in human history change very little at the end of the day. When you're looking at the big picture, we live this life on this treadmill of monotony. So listen, tomorrow morning you're going to get up and it's going to be Monday and you're going to suffer from Monday-itis. Right, And I thought, back when I was in college and, and, and before I became a Christian, I thought this, was, this meant hangover, all right? because you've been drinking so hard and then you kind of stop on Sunday morning at some point before the sun comes up. So Monday-itis is just the hangover. That's not what Monday-itis is, is it? It's not like we've been going really hard all weekend. Even people who relax on the weekend have Monday-itis. Monday-itis is coming to terms with the monotony of your life. Again, Monday, same alarm, same breakfast cereal, same traffic, same office. It's the same thing over and over and over again. And the brief respite that the weekend brings where you get up 10 minutes later than usual, right? And you have bacon and eggs instead of wheat bix, right? Is replaced on Monday morning by the realization that the same crap is going to be trod out Week after week after week. And Solomon sees that and says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? It's meaningless. Your life is a vapor. Alright. Let me put this in, in, in your world. Alright, this crowd majority of you in our church laundry huh laundry used to be something that Renee and I did kind of once to mark a new season right it was like four times a year do the laundry right we were really poor so we had two different outfits um we got two kids now some of you have six and I've never, I, and, and here's, like, I'm just an outsider. I've never pressed a button on our washing machine, all right? I'm just going to confess that to you. I've never done it. Um, but all I see is Renee going in and out of the laundry constantly, carrying clothes. And no matter how many times she washes them, they end up back in the washing machine, Right? 
No matter how much laundry you do, there's always more laundry to be done. And that is a picture of life on this earth under the sun. Monotonous toil, nothing ever gets finished, nothing ever changes, it's meaningless. Just let the people leave who are just too depressed by this book. All right, verse, let's keep going. Verse 5. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. What he says is, this this isn't just our experience. This is the experience of the world around us. This is not just individual human experience, day-to-day monotony. This is creation. The wind keeps going around. The streams keep flowing into the sea. They get sucked up out of the sea. The clouds take them back to the mountains. They rain down again and end up back in the sea. It's not just the pattern of human experience. It's the pattern of life under the sun. It's the pattern of this present universe that we live in. Nothing changes. It's monotonous over and over and over again. Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter 8 when he talks about creation. Let's read that. I think I've got it up here. Romans 8. I think it started at verse 18. Yeah. Paul says, and he's talking about how Christians suffer in this life and, it's, uh, and life is monotonously um, hard. He says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the creation, right? Not just us. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Here's a paraphrase of what he just said. The whole creation is saying, meaningless, meaningless, Meaningless. Vanity. 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 The creation itself. Our, our existence as trees and animals and seas and skies is meaningless. And Paul looks forward beyond what Solomon sees in this book at this point to a whole other reality beyond the sun. And we'll get to this in a little bit because this is the key to understanding the book. But Paul says, yes, meaningless, meaningless. Even the creation says meaningless, meaningless. But there is something beyond the sun. There is something beyond the sun. There is something beyond the sun that even the creation is groaning for. Not everything is going to be finally and ultimately meaningless. Let's keep going. I cannot believe how quickly our time's gone. My word. Whose idea was it to tie me? This is ridiculous. All right. Um, no, let's just keep going. All right, verse, 18, uh, verse 8 to 10. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after Our experience from day to day is monotonous, meaninglessness. The experience of the creation around us is monotonous, meaninglessness. And the testament of history 
for all time is monotonous meaninglessness. And so what we do is go through all of life striving and toiling and working and stressing and then taking medication to deal with all of that stress so that we can keep stressing and toiling and heaping up the things that we're told that we should value. Accumulating wealth, accumulating possessions, accumulating wives, accumulating children, right? And we do all of that and then every one of us gets to the end of our existence, dies, gets painted up, put in a box and buried in the ground. And it's the same for everybody here. Let me tell you a story. Yesterday, I went out to my car to go home after spending the morning here at the office. When I was, uh, sorry, this is the day before, Friday. When I was getting to my car, I saw this crow. I've got this friend, he's a crow. And, um, and crows are probably the most, they're said to be the most intelligent birds on the planet, right? Very intelligent. And this crow was going around and he was picking up the, have you seen these cocoons that are everywhere? They're case moths. They make these cocoons, they look like sticks, right? They're really big. Open your eyes, guys, come on. Um, and, and he was going around collecting these things, ripping them off, whatever they're attached to. There's one on your way out on one of the columns on the covered walkway, all right? On your right, you'll see it. And then he was spending time, a good amount of time, 10, 15 minutes, I filmed some of it, just ripping these things apart, grabbing the big fat moth at some point of its transformation between caterpillar and moth, where it's really fat, something like 90 plus percent fat, and just chewing him up, chucking him away, starting on the next one. Now, that moth has spent most of its existence building that damn cocoon, right? Making it look really camouflaged, really clever, really well encased, glued together real hard. Spent most of its time doing that. If you can YouTube it, you need to look at this thing. It's just incredible what they do. And then, when at least expect it, expected it, a crow came, picked it up, broke it open and ate it. And, and that's pathetic and that's every one of our lives. Huh? It's like all of my life spent building this cocoon to keep me safe so that I can delight in it, so that I can enjoy the fruits of my labor and one day perhaps become all that I've dreamed of becoming with wings to flutter around in the warm summer sky. And before any of us get to that point of satisfaction, the the death crow comes and rips it open, chews us up, and we're done. That's Ecclesiastes. Your life of accumulation, of toil, is meaningless. You're like a fat case moth who spends all of your time accumulating only to be chewed up and spat out. It's a chasing after the wind. I love that phrase. He uses it twice at the end of this chapter. It's chasing after the wind. Have you ever tried doing that? Meaningless, meaningless, vanity, vanity, vapor, vapor. For all of your toil, for all of your striving, for all of your accumulation, it's but a chasing after the wind. Now there will be some of us, and Solomon has... has got you in his sights. There'll be some of us this morning, and your kids, by the way, are going to be, every one of them is going to be this guy in the future, all right? There'll be some of us who say, that cannot be true, right? Because I was raised every day of my life to think that I was going to make a difference in life and that even if everyone else goes from the 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 birthing suite to the grave without making any difference, I will make a difference, all right? I'm highly educated, highly motivated, and I will make a difference. People will remember me. I will be famous. Verse 11, 
There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things, yet to be among those who come after. The other way of uh, translating things is people. There is no remembrance of former people, former persons, nor will there be any remembrance of later persons. Everyone will be forgotten. No one will have an indelible effect on the world around us. Now, you probably hear this if you're like me, and that's shocking. That is shocking. Right? Because our whole life, and this is the whole marketing machine of the universe is on this, is to drive you and narrow your focus into today, maybe tomorrow, because that is where the money is. All right? If you suddenly get a glimpse of the reality of life and the fact that you are a vapor in the middle of eternal and eternal expanse, a conveyor belt of corpses that have gone before you, you suddenly stop buying stuff so much and striving so much to accumulate all the stuff that people want you to buy, right? Together with this, we've got this new message, and there's nothing new under the sun, as he says, but it's a new emphasis on the message that we're telling people that you can be one of the few people that will have an indelible effect on the human race, all right? Here's the proof. Think about this. Every talent show that you watch on TV right now, right? They get to the point where they axe the contestant that thought they were going to win. It's normally the last 10 people or something like that. And to each and every one, everyone look right at me, test this tonight because there's about 25 shows where they'll do this. They'll axe someone and say, yeah, you're not, you're not going any further, but you have a massive future ahead of you. We're going to hear about you in the future. MasterChef, well, I'm going to be coming to your restaurant and buying your cookbook. Or if it's X Factor, we're going to be buying your album within days. I can feel it. And you never hear about any of them. And some of them get invited back. And you're like, who is this guy? Why is he on the stage? It was only a season ago that he was the winner and you've forgotten him already. Right? False promises. False promises. There is no remembrance of anyone who can name their great-great-grandfathers. Name. Who who can come up with a name? One. Right. Two. And that's because you cheat by researching, all right? No one. That was a few years ago. Right. And no one else does. Because that's your family. A few years ago, and you've forgotten them. So we're we're popping... We're popping the, the enormous trillion dollar a year illusion that leads every one of us to a life of dissatisfaction. I've been thinking a lot about Robin Williams this week. You might have been as well. And I've been reading a lot of his interviews, particularly towards the end of his life, last four or five years. And what you'll hear in his interviews over and over again, is this. Is the message of Ecclesiastes. I read one interview where, the, where he was kind of saying, life's a bit of a downer, and the reporter said to him, you've won an Academy Award. And do you know what he said? He said, I won the Academy Award. This is Robin Williams. I won the Academy Award. And everyone was saying, wow, you won an Academy Award. And he said, one week later, people forgot. They had won an Academy Award. It meant nothing to anyone. One week. The pinnacle of your profession. The thing that every actor who's living on the streets in LA right now is dreaming of and working towards and starving for and going to the gym to achieve and having plastic surgery to fit. One week. And if that becomes your motivation to get up out of bed every morning, at some point, you're just going to pull the trigger. Because it's meaningless. And it's not just Hollywood. It's every single one of us here this morning. We're all, all, all in such great danger of being sucked into this vacuum this this void of meaning 
the next thing. It'll be the next thing. It'll be the next thing. It'll be the next job. That's where I'll get satisfaction. It'll be the next wife. That's where I'll get satisfaction. Right? It'll be the next toy. It'll be the next upgrade on that toy. Have you ever thought about how insane retail therapy is? If I just buy this dress, if I just buy this car, if I just buy this gadget, I'll experience satisfaction. And you do, don't you? You do. That's where the lie gets its power. You do. You feel good for that afternoon. And then you wake up and it's Monday morning and everything is meaningless. And then a week later, the new model comes out and it's meaningless. So Solomon says, Listen, everyone, I just want to open your eyes just to see the reality of this conveyor belt of meaninglessness. And then the rest of our time together, the next 11 weeks, we're going to see not only more and more of that picture, but hopefully, God willing, we're going to see more and more of God's answer. The answer to depression, to insignificance, to dissatisfaction, to to lack of purpose. The answer to all of those things lies beyond the sun. Yes, Solomon, life under the sun is meaningless, vanity, vapor. But there is something beyond the sun. There is something beyond the sun that will give meaning to all of your meaninglessness, that will give structure to all of your otherwise subjective morality, that will give real joy to your joyful experiences. There is something beyond the sun. Let's finish by taking a look at it again. This is Romans 8. We're going to go back there and just reread. Paul had Ecclesiastes in mind as he wrote it. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him, that's God, who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free. Do you want to be set free from this, from this God-damned conveyor belt? That's what Paul just said. God damned this conveyor belt, subjected creation to futility in hope that we would see its futility and want to be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning, you groaning this morning, together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too weak for, deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Listen to this. And we know, in the midst of all of this meaninglessness, we know That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, called beyond the sun, called beyond this veil of tears, called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? What shall we say to all of this meaninglessness, all of this suffering? What shall we say to all of this? If God is for us, finish it. Who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son 
that gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Everything that you are searching for and thirsting for and toiling for, that void that you're trying to fill with all of that junk that never satisfies, God says beyond the sun, there is a sun who will fill every void, who will slake every thirst, who will cure every disease, who will fulfill every longing of your heart and will wipe away every tear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book of Ecclesiastes. Thank God for a man like Solomon who just wants to tell us the truth. Every message we hear from this point for the rest of the day and into the week, aside from your word, is going to be a false promise. It's going to be a deception of the enemy. It's going to be a lie. It's going to be angling to get us to spend and accumulate and fill up our void with meaninglessness. It's going to get us to stack full the void with nothing but the wind, nothing but vapor. And it's going to perpetuate itself on this endless treadmill of disappointment that we call life under the sun. So God, thank you for, wisdom, uh, for, for Solomon's wisdom and honesty. This truly is the truest of all books. Now take us, Lord. Take us beyond Solomon's picture of life under the sun and give us, give us a vision for life in your Son, Jesus Christ. A life of abundance. John chapter 10, verse 10. I came that you may have life and have it to the full. Have it in abundance. So God, please do that in us and through us. Over the next 12 weeks, please continue to open our eyes to the sham of life under the sun and the glory of life beyond it. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. You've been listening to the Anglican Church Caroline Springs podcast. For more information, go to taccs.org.au.